Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. I'm your host, Christopher Ryan, talking to you from Portland, Oregon, where it's a sunny day, I'm happy to say. It's our second day here in Portland. We're staying in a little, uh, what's this place called, a micro house or a tiny house or whatever that we found on Airbnb on uh, Hawthorne. Beautiful area. Uh, Went out for a walk last night. (laughs) Amazing. I mean, the difference between driving and walking, you know, we've driven up and down this road, what, half a dozen times in the last couple of days. Last night I went for a walk and uh, what do I find? There's a, the biggest float tank place in the country. Apparently I walk in there and they know and love Joe Rogan. We talk about Joe and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they've got like three or four different kinds of uh, float tanks down there. So, um, I guess I'm going to be doing doing a float soon, which is cool. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and what else? There was a, a Portuguese restaurant that just opened up, which is cool. Cassie's Portuguese. And um, uh, there was a, a martial arts studio called Pukalan. It's the first time I've seen that word in print since I was 15 years old and was studying a form of Kung Fu called Pukalan, uh, which I believe was Okinawan, although I, I don't really know. that Now I'm wondering. Um, anyway, I was going to go in and ask some questions, but there were like a whole bunch of little kids, <laughs> so I didn't go in because it was like, you know, they're all 10 years old running around screaming and knocking shit over, so I'll go another time. Anyway, very cool. Had a nice walk down there. Stopped in a bar, had a beer, a really nice IPA, a pint, and it was $4, ladies and gentlemen, $4. I asked him if that was happy hour. He said, no, that's a regular price. A regular price, $4 for a really nice pint. In LA, that's eight, at least seven, probably eight. Anyway, I like Portland so far. Uh, going to look at a couple of, uh, apartments later today. So, uh, that, that's interesting. I hope we'll have a place to live before long. Um, thank you, John Shadborn. Uh, beautiful, beautiful email. I really appreciate it. Um, putting some, some theory into, uh, into some of the things we said in Sex at Dawn. I mean, putting some reality into some of the theories in Sex at Dawn. I, I don't want to get more detailed than that because it's very personal stuff, but uh, I really appreciate you writing to me. Uh, Kurt Weissman, thank you so much for your uh, donation. Very kind of you. Really appreciate it. Um, Patrick Heckelman, very much appreciate it. Uh, from Nanjing, China. Hey, so cool. Somebody in Nanjing, China is listening to these podcasts. I just, it's blowing my mind, blowing my mind. Uh, Ian Bartholomew, Bartholomew, thank you, Ian Bartholomew, for your, uh, Modesto, California, for your uh, donation as well. Really appreciate it. If you want to make a donation, go to chrisryanphd.com. Go to the podcast tab. You'll see a donation button. You'll also see a bonobo with huge bonobo balls. If you click on those bonobo balls, it takes you to Amazon. You Whatever you buy on that visit, we get a couple percent of whatever you spend. Take some of that corporate blood money and sends it our way. Thank you. Costs nothing extra for you, of course. It just takes a little from them. 
And uh, before we get into this, uh, Aubrey Marcus, the great Aubrey Marcus, CEO of Onnit.com, good buddy of Joe Rogan's, wonderful guy, uh, sat down with him and, uh, and his girl Whitney, girl, woman, she was Miss USA, yo. Miss USA sat down with with him. She came in about halfway through. Uh, fascinating dude. Jeez, I mean everything from the beginning. His parents, fascinating people. His mother was a like a health and nutrition consultant for the Lakers. Uh, his dad. Um, <laughs> he tells he tells an amazing story of how his dad invented the flashlight. Yes. Uh, incredible stuff. Anyway, we have a fascinating conversation. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Um, yeah, we, uh, this, this episode, I think there are no sponsors for this episode other than sure design t-shirts. Uh, I, I get into a habit of sort of, you know, Squarespace, this is brought to you by Squarespace, but then I'm just like giving it away. Those guys are, I mean, they're paying me for, uh, what one, a month, I think. And I'm like every damn episode I'm yelling about Squarespace. Uh, you know, if you get the milk for free, why should you buy the cow, right? That's probably what they're thinking down at Squarespace. Or maybe they're thinking that guy, he gets all confused and, you know, we, we had to just pay him for every episode. Maybe they're thinking that. We'll see at the end of the month. Anyway, uh, this episode is not brought to you by Squarespace.com. But if it were... I would tell you how great Squarespace.com is, and you would uh, be encouraged to go there and use the discount code SEX, S-E-X, and you'd get 10% off your annual fee, which is already like 8 bucks a month or something, including a URL, so it ends up being dirt cheap. Um, but I'm not saying any of that because this episode is not brought to you by Squarespace. It is, however, brought to you by Sure Design T-Shirts. Check them out, SureDesignT-Shirts.com. My discount code at Sure Design T-Shirts is Sex at Dawn. Sex at Dawn, all one word, I believe. Anyway, you'll get 10% off everything, you, your entire order at SureDesignT-Shirts.com. I am really happy, excited, because... I went in, uh, I, I did a dumb thing. I sent the uh, the link to Cassie and I said, see if there's anything there that you like and we'll order it. And um, she got back to me with about 15 things. So we ordered those 15 things and I used my own discount code. I hope it works. Um, so I've got a big shipment of stuff coming from Thailand for Cassie. They've got like yoga leggings and dresses and t-shirts, obviously, and um, an anklet and all sorts of cool stuff. So we've got that en route. And then I've also placed a big-ass order for hoodies. They're going to be Sex at Dawn hoodies. They're going to be Civilized to Death shirts and hoodies. There's going to be... Um, all sorts of stuff. I also ordered some shirts that say paleo modern. I think that's a pretty cool word. Paleo modern. So that's what we are. We're paleo modern. Uh, so anyway, those things, I'll let you know when they're up and ready to roll. Uh, that's it. My Ted talk, which went up a week ago, uh, has already got more than half a million views. So who would have known? Who could have known that people are interested in sexuality? But apparently they are. Half a million views. You know, half a million. That's like five of the biggest 
soccer stadiums in the world of people who have watched that TED Talk. It kind of blows my mind. But then, you know, that's the thing. Like, this whole this whole virtual world shit is so strange. I've written a bunch of articles for, you know, my blog on Psychology Today or whatever that have had more than 100,000 views. But it you don't feel it. It's just a number. You just see the number go up and nothing happens, you know? Uh, whereas, imagine, like, walking into a stadium, like the halftime show at the Super Bowl. You know, that's not even 100,000 people in that stadium, right? But imagine, like... You know, if you had to stand there in front of 100,000 people and read your article, then you'd know how many people were listening. You'd feel it. You'd see it. You'd experience it. But when you just write something, throw it up online or, or one of these podcasts, I'm sitting here in my fucking pajamas, not even pajamas, these, these pajama pants that Cassie brought back to me from Africa. And I sat down on a metal chair the, the, about an hour ago, and my ass, I felt like I sat in water. And I looked, and speaking, my pajama pants are torn in the back, so my ass was on the the metal. Anyway, I'm sitting here in, you know, torn-ass pajama pants in somebody's mini house in Portland talking into this machine, and yet, I don't know, 100,000 people might be listening to this. It's very strange. Very strange. Anyway, if you are listening to this, I really appreciate it. Uh, the uh, the audience, the downloads for this podcast have been going through the roof recently, uh, largely due, I think, to um, to the, the thing I'm doing with Joe and Duncan, and that's bringing a lot of attention, and probably the TED Talk will bring some more. Um, but I think most of it is just people who enjoy these things and they're telling their friends and they're, they're, you know, spreading the word. So, uh, I really appreciate it. That's you. I know you're out there. I get your emails from Nanjing and Finland and, you know, Modesto and uh, everywhere else. And I really appreciate it. Love, love, uh, chatting with people through Twitter. Uh, sooner or later, I'm going to have to cut back on that shit when I start writing, but for now, I'm still doing it, and uh, and it's great to be able to interact with everybody. So listen, this this conversation with Aubrey Marcus and Whitney Miller was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoy it. We cover a lot of ground and uh, and had a great time. So hope everything's going great wherever you are. Ciao. Ah, sorry, I'm back. One more thing I wanted to say before I sign off. Driving up here from L.A., Cassie and I had a chance to listen to a bunch of podcasts that uh, that we hadn't listened to. I, the funny thing is, you know, I do these podcasts, but I don't listen to many of them because I just don't have time. I don't drive much. I don't commute. I don't, you know, work in a place where I can uh, listen to stuff while I'm working. Um, so I, 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 there are a lot of things I've wanted to listen to and haven't had a chance. And one of them was um, Daniele Bolelli's um recent podcast where he he talked about the experience of losing his wife three years ago. Um, if you're not familiar with Daniele, check him out. Um, you can just Google him, Daniele Bolelli, B-O-L-E-L-L-I. Uh, his podcast is called The Drunken Taoist, T-A-O-I-S-T, The Drunken Taoist. Um, it's... Uh, Daniel is a very interesting guy. He's a friend. Uh, I love him a lot. And uh, I knew his wife had died shortly before I met him. I knew he had a child, a little a little girl. I've met her. I didn't know the details. 
And like most people, I didn't want to ask, you know, you don't want to like pull somebody back into a painful experience, uh, excruciating experience just for your own, to satisfy your own curiosity. But um, Danielli made a podcast uh, where he talked about the experience, the whole thing. And if you've got the, what's the word? It's a strange thing because, you know, you think it's going to hurt to listen to. You you know, it's going to be a painful experience. And I'm not going to say it isn't slightly painful, but it's well worth it. Uh, it uh, It's an amazing experience to listen to Daniele, to listen to someone who is that honest with himself and uh, and bearing his, his heart and soul the way he does. And that podcast is uh, is really something. So I encourage you to to check him out. The Drunken Taoist, Daniele Bolelli. Uh, it's the episode uh, about Elizabeth, his his wife. Um, uh, all his episodes are great. I've been on a couple times. I've had him on this podcast. Uh, in fact, I recorded one with him and his mother, which I haven't uh, haven't put up yet. I'll put them up soon. But um, anyway, check out that episode. Uh, I promise you will not be disappointed, and it will um, it'll make your your life a little richer, at least. All right, thanks. Bye. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you wanna feel. Say what you wanna say. You're gonna die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say All right, podcast listeners, I'm here in uh, the beautiful Pally House in uh, Santa Monica, a beautiful hotel I didn't know existed until two days ago. I'm with uh, Aubrey Marcus, CEO of Onnit.com, right? And indeed, any other? Are you a, uh, like a? Should I have more titles? Do, you, do I need what, a longer exactly. introduction? Right? Do you yeah, have? I um, maybe I do. <laughs> I'll work on that for next time. That's the only one that's official. That's I the official. A lot of things. All right. So that's your only company. You're not, you're not one of these guys with like nine companies. No, that's yeah. It. Okay. So far, but you're just starting. I just out. put everything I like into that. That's oh, the secret. Okay. You know, there's no company that I could develop that right. would be more interesting. Right. So it's like everything interesting can just be channeled through that yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah. It's beautiful. O n n i t dot com. Uh, if you listen to. Any of the uh, sort of affiliated podcasts, Joe Rogan, or uh, do, you, do you sponsor Duncan as well? Duncan, Duncan, Daniele, yeah. Joey. I haven't done anything with Ari's yet, but uh, yeah, the whole sort of uh, incestuous podcast <laughs> pod here. Yeah, what's a group of podcasts? It must be a pod, a pod, of yeah, a podcast. pod of podcasts. Yeah, exactly. A gaggle, a gaggle. Okay. <laughs> if they suck, yeah, <laughs> it's a gag of podcasts. Yeah, what was somebody told me last night? Oh, I can't remember what it was. There's a a word for a group of cats. I think she, a sounder of cats, I think she said. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, a sounder of cats. And yeah, we were talking about... small cats. Yeah, right, because uh, lions, lions would be a pride. Yeah, that's that's an interesting term, too. Jaguars don't get along. So. They don't have any sort of group thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They yeah. just hide in the trees and fuck things up when they want to. No group sex no. among jaguars. Unfortunately. It's the downside of being a jaguar. It's a lot <laughs> of good. You do get to trip. 
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we were just talking. I saw your podcast with Joe Rogan, mm-hmm. and you guys are showing that uh, yeah. that film of a <laughs> of a jaguar eating some hallucinogenic uh-huh. leaves or something, and then getting all freaked out. Yeah, it's cool. Animals uh, animals getting high. I mean, anyone who's ever grown marijuana knows. That you got to really fence it in because deer, rabbits, all sorts of stuff will really? come in there and I eat your marijuana. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very attractive to the animal kingdom. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. It's very nutritious as well. As nutritious, great source of fiber. You know, if they're like trying the, to get rid of parasites, double, the double, triple win. Right? Yeah, yeah. Get, high, get nutrition. Get rid of parasites. Although yeah. I wonder if they do get high because they're eating the leaves, which, as we all know, contain very so they little. Leave you the buds. How? How polite. Well, <laughs> they eat the whole damn thing, you know. <laughs> it never gets a chance to bud. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, they eat the leaves. And also, as I understand it, there has to be fat in your stomach for the THC to get into your bloodstream. So, so that's d- why you make it with butter. That's why you make butter, right? Brownies and, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. exactly, exactly. All right, well, let's not incriminate ourselves. If we go down that, <laughs> that road any further, I'll start telling stories and... <laughs> I'll be hauled off to jail. Um, so, so you're. Uh, how long have you been doing on it? This, I mean, it sounds to me like a big company, but just because yeah. I hear about it from everybody I know. Well, it's grown fast. It's grown mm. up quickly. Uh, started in 2010, and then July oh, really? 2011 was when it really took off. And, right. Um, we launched Alpha Brain, um, and from there, just kept putting best formulas we could together and best concepts for fitness and foods and uh brought it all under the umbrella launched a lot of products and you know people really like it and you were telling me you and i spoke a little bit the other day and we did your podcast and and also we're just sort of chatting out here in the courtyard and you told me some interesting (laughs) stories about uh like in some ways you were sort of born to do this you know you this wasn't an academic interest of yours you were you were into supplements and fitness and all that from a very young age why why is that yeah well my my stepmother was dr janet zand and she worked with you know pat riley's basketball teams and very early on was keen on using nutritional supplementation and herbs to affect performance both in physical level and a cognitive level Mm -hmm. so test day i'd have a stack of supplements i would take and notice the effects on my cognition and then game day I'd have a whole other stack of supplements to take that would help with you know endurance acuity performance right. etc so i got that paradigm kind of in my head early and then from there went out and founded a marketing company learned kind of the nature of that game and um then meeting up with joe rogan as that kind of initial push and promotional arm and He's also great with ideas for different things as well. Right. All of that came together as kind of the perfect storm to get this thing off and running in a hurry. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you? How old were you when you were when your mother was with the, the Lakers? And well, know. young. I mean, in the Lakers, I was growing up from you know nothing to twelve or right. something like that. And, and was, is, Knicks, was she a, a nutritionist by training or what? What's her? <laughs> yeah, she's well. A naturopathic doctor oh. and a licensed acupuncturist. And oh, so right. spent a lot of time in China doing Chinese medicine. Really? Um, really just learning about herbal medicine. And so she kind of came in to supplement the allopathic doctors. Of course, teams have great doctors for spraining ankles. And, but when things are a little more iffy, ah, I just don't feel so good lately. You know, doctors are terrible at that. Yeah, you know, they need a the, crisis. They need, they need something yeah. you know, that they can yeah. look up that has a, has a fix. So she was brought in to help them all 
you know, with that, some of the. Do, do you know what her connection was? Was it a, a guy in the team or something? Yeah, well, right, Pat Riley himself. Oh, um, really? They got to be good friends and close, and she had a kind of a litany of celebrity, right? Uh, different people she would help out. All right. If, if there is an awkward pause there, it's because the uh, the maid was vacuuming right outside the door, and so I, I paused it in the middle of your you're talking about your your mother and Pat Riley and all yeah. that. You know, it's to me it's really interesting how you and I were talking the other day uh, about Andrew Weil, who's mm-hmm. an old friend of mine. I've yeah. I've known him for 25 years or something. So I sort of watched how he's gone from being this outlandish you know, sort of getting scoffed at to becoming, you know, on the cover of time magazine Mm -hmm. at some point in the nineties, I guess. Um, and so this whole notion of alternative medicine sort of moving toward the center of, of medical practice in the U S and then sort of being pushed back out by the establishment, you know, over and again, but it keeps sort of sliding back in. I mean, did your mother or any of the teams she worked with or you, was there any sort of like control groups or like how, how was it dem- how how did you know or she know that this wasn't placebo effect or associated with just the ritual sure. and all that well you have a variety of different things that you try and there's no reason they all come in this at least for me they come in this pile yeah. i don't know what the fuck any of it is at all anyways right? Uh, right so some days the pile works awesome and i say whoa that pile worked awesome and then other days the pile doesn't do anything and some days the pile has like a negative effect as she's kind of trying and tinkering things out. So it becomes pretty clear that, you know, there shouldn't be any reason why this day you believe it's going to work and this day you believe it's not going to work. Um, but you start to make associations with what has worked. And I say, hey, I felt really great today. So, okay, good. I tried this in combination with this. And mm. you get to kind of get a feel for it. So you, she was testing stuff out on you? Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I was guinea pig number one. <laughs> Come you here, know, so, son. Yeah, Eat sometimes this. it was dramatically helpful. Other times, yeah. I remember one time I had this really bad combination of something. And I, like, passed out in practice. And I was, like, puking. I was like, that was fucking terrible. Like, I don't know what you Thanks guys a lot, like, Mom. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry about that. We won't go that route again. Yeah, I can relate to that. You know, as my wife's a doctor, and yeah. sometimes she just gives me a bunch of pills. And, and you know, she, and especially initially, she would get sort of like exasperated if I asked her what they were. You know what I mean? And we had to sort of have it out. Like, you know, look, I know you went to medical school and you're a great doctor, but this is my fucking body here. You know, I have a right to know what all this is. All right. All right. That's, you know, vitamin E. And this is the, the only time I, I have ever been impotent. Uh, I won't. I won't get into the details of the story, but it was heartbreaking. <laughs> it, it was the wrong night to be impotent, and it, it as, as if it's, it's ever, ever the right night. Yeah, I mean, it's I, never like you go to jerk off by yourself at your computer. And you're like, hey, hey, yeah, uh, who cares? Uh, All right, I'll watch a movie, <laughs> a different movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this, uh, yeah, it, it was just the strangest thing because. You know, normally I've got like, you know, in the White House, there's the red phone to Moscow. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's me and my dick. You know, I mean, we're tight. (laughs) Direct communication. You pick up the line. (laughs) Always answers. So, uh, mom, if you're listening to this, I told you not to. (laughs) I told you not to listen to the podcast. But anyway, uh, yeah, and and it was just the strangest thing because it was like there was no response at all. Nobody home, nothing. And and it's just weird because I felt fine. You know, I felt great. Um, 
And then later, like the next day, I was, I said, yeah, I don't know what, what happened. That's so weird yesterday. Cause there's no like psychological, mm-hmm. you know, like psychologically, Hey, if something's not happening, fine, I don't care. You know, right, I can, right, right. the worst thing you can do is get uptight about it. Cause then you create the spiral of death, you know, <laughs> but, uh, who, who knows what you're talking about? Uh, yeah. spiral of death. Gentlemen, <laughs> trust me on that. <laughs> The best thing, as in many things in life, the best thing you can do for many problems is just ignore it. I'm not talking about tumors. Okay, I'm talking about like minor talking psychological about, issues. I'm talking about the spiral of death. I'm we talking all, about the spiral, spiral of death. death. Yeah, but um, yeah, and then and then uh, Cassie came to me and she's like, "Oh, you know what? I gave you, I gave you some really strong antibiotics yesterday," and she didn't tell me, and I had been drinking vodka. So the antibiotics, strong antibiotics and the vodka, because we'd been traveling and I had some stomach thing or whatever. And the two of them together, just like, you know, yeah, like all the lines (laughs) were cut. (laughs) Like, damn it. Anyway, that's. Fortunately, you're not prone to spirals of death. Otherwise, the information could have saved you coming in handy a little earlier. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been good to know. But uh, yeah. Anywho, uh, let's not talk about my sex life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That'll be the bonus content. People have to pay to hear those stories. <laughs> Let's talk about your sex life. All right, yeah, spiral of death. When's the last time you were impotent? Um, do you guys sell? Do you guys? Well, speaking of, wait a minute. You guys, do you sell flashlights on on it? No, no. That's that a completely a former, separate deal. Yeah, that was a former business enterprise. Because yeah. there is a connection here. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So tell us the story about that. What you, you mentioned that a little bit yesterday. Yeah. So this will be the first time this full story gets out. But the. Uh, the fleshlight. A lot of people know that I was, you know, representing in marketing, but they didn't really know the the family connection. And what happened was, is my stepfather, uh, my mother got pregnant with my twin sisters, and my stepfather basically looked around. This is about 20 years ago. Looked out in the market and could not see anything that was suitable. Um, well, let me take it one step back. She got pregnant with my twin sisters, and she was already kind of advancing in years. So the doctors said, hey, look, it's pretty high risk to have sex for the last six, seven months of this pregnancy. So my stepdad said, well, you know, I'm a grown-ass man. <laughs> I have grown man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he was a former SWAT team squad leader, uh-huh. a real you know, rough and tough kind of guy. And uh, he looked around in the market like, well, is there any kind of surrogates or anything I can use to kind of mix it up or without, you know, going full hooker? <laughs> and so he didn't find anything. And yeah. so he set to, you know, inventing something. And he was he always he had some. Hello, that's the American spirit oh, right there, man. So he yeah. invented it. But what he invented were these full on kind of half bodies. Right. right. And so he was trying to get these half bodies out in the market. And everybody kept saying. Bodies are cool, but could you just send me the removable pussy part of it? <laughs> and then he's like, aha, that was his aha moment. And so he put yeah. the removable pussy part in a flashlight. And um, there's, yeah, there's a metaphor in there. Uh, yeah, there is a sure. serious, I mean, I'm sure men and women all over the world have said to themselves, man, could I just have that part? Could I just have the genitalia <laughs> and then pass on the rest of it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then that was when? 20 years ago. Yeah, just about. About 17 years ago. I imagine the half-body thing would be kind of creepy. It was a little weird. I mean, they're beautifully done. And did you have, like, prototypes around the house? Yeah, we had some prototypes. <laughs> and you're, like, in high school or something? Yeah, well? I was in high school. <laughs> I may or may not have been one of the premier testers. So <laughs> uh, yeah, you're a guinea pig. Hey, <laughs> I prefer being dad's guinea pig, really. You know, if I had to choose here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so this is your stepmom and my stepfather and my mother. 
Okay, so they're in separate relationships. Mm-hmm. So you don't. Yeah. Okay, because I was going to say yes. that's that's an interesting you know convergence there. Sure. Yeah, and so what did their respective like? What did his? So wait a minute. Your stepdad, the, the fleshlight guy, and your mother, the nutritionist. No, my stepmother. Both of them. Both of them are my step. My stepmother was Doctor Zan. My stepfather. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Steve Shubin who I created gotcha. the fleshlight. Okay. Yes, right. they were separate sides. Right. Right. Because there's some interesting, like, do it yourself. You know, yeah, for sure. Forge a new path, kind of thing. And this was in Texas. This was in California when it started, but then, yeah, very quickly into Texas. So you're coming home from high school, and you've got, like, prototypes, and your dad's like, oh, well, look at this. What do you think of this? You know? Yep. Did you, like, share them with friends and stuff in high school? <laughs> I mean, you don't want to share the same one. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, pass out the prototypes. <laughs> yeah, occasionally a few lucky friends would, uh, would get, a, get a prototype. Were you, were you embarrassed by this? Were you freaked out? Or not what? really. It's not something you go shouting around, you know, like, hey, everybody. But, yeah. you know, it's not something that we're embarrassed about. Because, look, I mean, at that point, even at that point, vibrators were mainstream. Right. You know, and it's a weird double standard that if you're a guy that fucks something, yeah. you're a creep. Right. <laughs> and if you're a girl that uses a vibrator, oh, that's hot. You're liberating. empowering. You're liberating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just kind of a silly double standard. And, you know, I'm not one to proliferate double standards. It's true, though. You're, you're right. There's a lot more shame associated with. You know, the, the idea like, wow, if you would use something like that, he must be so desperate. So, right. you know, animalistic. And But a woman with a vibrator or a dildo or whatever is like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah right, right. Control of your own sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like if you were, if you had a one-night stand with a woman and you, you saw a vibrator next to her bed, you'd think, yeah, she's hot. Cool. But if she sees a flashlight in your shower, it'd be like, ah, yeah. ah <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and it's funny because the whole like artificial sexual stimulation thing has been going on for a long time in farm animals. You know, there are people who jerk off horses and bulls and stuff yeah, for a I living. I thought you were going a totally different way with the farm animals, but I'm glad you went that way. <laughs> oh, we can go that way, too. <laughs> no, I'm glad you went that way. It's a much more preferred <laughs> yeah. communication. You know who Dan Savage is, right? Yeah. yeah. He told me a story. I think he's told this story publicly, so I'm not, I'm not stealing his story. But um, he, uh, he has this podcast where people call in and leave questions on the answering machine. And sometimes you'll call them back to follow up. So this guy calls in and he says, listen, uh, I don't, I, I have sex with horses and I don't <laughs> see why it's a problem. The horse is fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It depends on which way that goes. Are you the giver or the taker? Cause <laughs> well, it could certainly go wrong. <laughs> you, see, you had, you're a bad guy to tell stories to, cause you could always see the end coming. <laughs> You got it the other day with, I told you, what, what was the story I told you? Oh, the Neil Strauss yeah, story. Yeah. You saw that coming too. But anyway, uh, yeah, so so Dan calls him back and he says to him, look, I just want to clarify, are you fucking the horse or is the horse <laughs> fucking you? And there's this long pause on the phone and finally the guy says, I'm not gay. <laughs> 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 Draw that line and really sand, offended. Buddy. Yeah, yeah. Telling Dan Savage, right? America's <laughs> most famous gay Listen, man, I probably. Fuck horses, yeah, but, but I'm I not a not. fag. <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah, so there's that. But I, what I was thinking was, um, you know, in uh, like high high end horses, high high end uh, expensive <laughs> race horses and all that. Are those the best type? <laughs> yeah, oh, I love a high end. <laughs> Nothing like a high end. Um, They're all rather high end. You probably got to get on the step ladder. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
Yeah, they you know they can't risk them actually having sex, you know, fucking because the, the the male can like really hurt the female, yeah, you sure. know, or the female can hurt the male if she kicks them or whatever. So they they masturbate the males and then they artificially inseminate the females. Mm. And the, I've seen that actually too because we have we have horses out in the out in Texas as well, uh-huh. and, uh, some stallions, and the, the <laughs> what they use is a giant leather like two handed leather pouch and it's like doesn't resemble anything like a vagina but they get the horses all fired up let them sniff a mare right. get them all riled up and then just shove the leather pouch on and the horses don't have a lot of control really <laughs> yeah wow That's, uh, you know what they do with monkeys in uh in lab animals is uh um electro electro prostate stimulation They've got like a rod that they stick up at the male monkey's ass and they zap him and he ejaculates. Not how the way the monkey, I'd like to do it. How does the monkey take to getting a rod shoved up his ass? Uh, <laughs> I don't think they like it most of the time. <laughs> you would imagine not. But once it was up there, I wonder what would happen if you gave the monkey the button. Would they just keep Oh, that's a good. That would be good research. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I never thought of that. Yeah. I don't think. I, you know, I don't know. There's no data on this that I've read. I just, the first time I read that, I thought, what a horrible way to get a monkey to come, you know? Right. I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to get a monkey to come. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, that should be one of life's easier jobs. I mean, but I think like a Craigslist ad could probably, <laughs> you get, could the, probably, probably get, get some get volunteers. Job, right? Yeah. Uh, we're getting way off track here. I don't even know what the track was anymore. We're so lost. Uh, on it and the flashlight. Okay, right. That's it. So, which isn't a track, <laughs> right? Anyways. Right. But the, so these are like the two sides. So, so you've got one side of your family. Your your mother's like doing this stuff. What what were your other? Yeah, so my, parents. My, your your yeah, biological my, parents. Yeah. My father was a commodities trader, Michael Marcus, and he's actually. Uh, can read about him in a book called market wizards and he was one of the pioneers of commodities trading oh boy and then my that explains the stallions yeah <laughs> and my mother was a professional tennis player kathy harder oh wow time. so her best finish in 68 she got to the semifinals lost to billy jean king oh that's so, not too shabby yeah everybody in the family you know that was one of the things i think we mentioned as well as you know, I ended up with virtually four parents because my parents split when I was two. And each of them brought a really unique and distinct set of not only information, but things that I could learn and personalities and achievements. And it was really cool. You know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of those people who have bad stories maybe about a divorce and step parents, but mine is the opposite. I feel incredibly blessed to have been exposed to those four different types of people. And did, and did they all live in the same town? Yeah, they did. Uh-huh. So we grew up in California, and then for high school, both sides moved to Texas. Was that coordinated? Yeah, coordinated. Well, it was a, it was a slight strong-arm maneuver from my mother's side. who said, listen, California schools, we're not into it. We're moving to Texas. And then my dad was like, well, shit, I'm not going to not see my son. Uh-huh. So they got what was supposed to be a temporary house, but Austin's a pretty cool place. Oh, uh, yeah. Into a permanent house. Yeah, you know, I've never been to Austin. I. I keep. I was just invited to speak at a, a paleo conference there mm-hmm. in April, which I might go just to go. see Austin. And then we can uh, we can hang out, and do some things. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I, I always hear so many great things about Austin, yeah. but please don't be offended. But I'm like so not into Texas. Right. Right. But from what I hear, <laughs> I Austin you. is the exception. Yeah. It's like all the cool stuff about Texas. Just yeah. Just focused. Yeah. Concentrated. <laughs> yeah. Because I've been to El Paso and Dallas and lots of other parts of Texas. But uh, 
Yeah, the whole Texas vibe, just like, that ain't me at all. And that ain't Austin vibe either. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you're, you're in an airport, and you see these guys walking around with their big hats on. Mm-hmm. And... And their boots and, and their belt buckles and all that. And it's like, well, how come you can do that? But if I dressed up as an Indian, I'd look like an idiot. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I had a feather headdress and moccasins, I'd look uh, weird. But you're dry, walking around like a fucking cowboy and it's normal. I don't get it. I, I, I mean, know. sometimes I wear a feather headdress and moccasins. <laughs> <laughs> you're wearing a headdress right now <laughs> yeah, on your exactly. T-shirt. It's a cool shirt, actually. Yeah. And, well, that's, that is a little bit funny. But at least it had some roots and some practicality. You know, the boots are important. If you're going to be actually riding horses or yeah. round horses, but how many of those dudes in the airport right, right. are riding horses? Yeah. But then you see somebody. I see occasionally some people with those hats that are purely just a cone on the top of their head. Do you even know what those hats are? Like the Vietnamese like rice hat? It's almost like a fez, but it's not. It has a little <laughs> tassel on it. I saw a bunch of people walking around with that, and I'm like, "What are you doing, sir?" Because I have no idea. Is that like some sort of convention <laughs> I don't or like know. an it initiation? Might, I think it's like some kind of some kind of weird club. Yeah. Some kind of weird. Yeah, looking like an idiot seems to be part of joining <laughs> lots of clubs. Yeah. You know, for sure. yeah, some sort of humiliation ritual. So all of your parents sound like like you said they're so disparate, so different, but they're all real high achievers. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, your yeah. your stepdad with like leading a SWAT team, so he was like a hard-ass Texan cop. For sure. Well, he was actually out here. He was in Compton. Oh, so in was, Compton. That's yeah, even yeah, harder yeah. ass. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they were, they were very different, but all trying to, you know, getting to a level of peak performance. And I think that's what instilled in me was whatever I was trying to do, you know, to be the best at it. And it how did, how did your mom out. meet him? It sounds like they're in two really different worlds. <laughs> like she's off studying, you know, acupuncture and Chinese herbal remedies. And he's well, no, like, that's a, so that's my, that's my stepmom and my dad. So commodities trader and herbal medicine. Oh, okay. And All right. I got player, it mixed up. Sorry. Tennis player. And, and it's a good thing. My team. parents didn't get divorced. I, I'm <laughs> incapable of keeping track of four people. Apparently <laughs> you're Dunbar <laughs> parents number is two. Is two, maybe three, but four, obviously, <laughs> Is beyond my my abilities. Yeah, yeah it's, it's confusing, especially then. I have three older step brothers, three younger half sisters, and a younger half brother. Right. So it gets really confusing and interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how it's confusing. I think it's confusing because we've got these cognitive um, categories, you know, and words for things. But on another level, it's very natural, you know, that you've got these mixed relationships and nuances and, you know, different half, you know, this and that. That's on some levels, that's very natural. But because we don't have the language for it, it gets difficult to keep track of it. It's kind of like these studies where they've shown that if a language has a word for a particular color, people recognize the color more quickly. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there, uh, the example I read was I think in French there's a particular word for what we call like burnt orange. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of darkish yeah. orange color, yeah. and we just call it dark orange or burnt orange or whatever. Right, right, right. And they've got a word like green, orange, boom, whatever it is. And then they show like uh, uh, charts with several different colors on it, and they tell people to to name how many colors they see on the chart. If your language has a word for it, you name it. You see it. There, oh, there are seven. If it doesn't have a word for it, you only see six. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? it how is language determines what we're capable of thinking about. Yeah. And it just carries a lot of baggage, too. I mean, we mentioned it today on Daniele's podcast. We're talking about the word God. 
And that oh, is, so I'm getting sloppy seconds on the podcast here. <laughs> hey, you've I'm already fresh. you've already blown your load I'm over like at Danielli's. I'm like a female primate. You know, I start talking, <laughs> and it means I want more podcasters to come pile on because I'm right. just getting warmed up. This is a podcast vocal, copulatory vocalization here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, so that term, you know, you put that term out there. Some people are going to hate it. For other people, it's going to mean an old man with a beard. And then mm. if I happen to use it, it's going to mean something a little bit closer to Lakota Wakatanka, yeah. divine force, right? You know, or source, or whatever you want to say. But it has so much weight to it. It's almost like you just can't even use it. Yeah, it's been hijacked by everybody. Yeah, yeah. I, I used the word. I was at a dinner party last night, and I I was telling a story about Ted, and I said, you know, Ted, the speaker's thing, mm-hmm. and I said, imagine how cool Ted would be if it weren't run by pussies, <laughs> and then the conversation turned to whether or not pussy was an offensive term. Uh-huh. Of course, I was referring to cats, so I, I don't know why everyone was so upset, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was interesting because we got into this whole thing about like. Who controls words? Who controls language? You know, and Louis C.K.'s great thing about the N word. Mm-hmm. You say the N word, you've just made me say nigger in my head. You <laughs> right, know, right, fuck right. you. You say it if you want to say it. You know, <laughs> right. yeah. I, so I'm sort of, yeah, I, I'm sort of uh, uh, almost an absolutist on that. I hate when people say you can't use this or that word. Yeah, you know, it's, it's offensive. You're offended. Get offended by an idea. Get offended by an emotivation. Right. Don't get offended by a fucking yeah, word. Forcing you to use some kind of collection euphemism. of sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That, like, yeah. That's like that solves the problem. Talk about a symptomatic treatment. You yeah. know. Yeah. I was with um, my wife. We were traveling. Cassie and I were driving up the coast uh, to Vancouver last uh, spring, and we stopped at some little town in Oregon. We're in a Denny's in, in Oregon. And uh, like real, like small town Oregon, right? And and this woman was sitting next to us in a table, and we started talking. And Casilda looks very exotic, because mm-hmm. so she's sort of um, she looks like she's Brazilian or something, because mm-hmm. she's uh, Indian and dark skin and all this. So the woman said, "Where are you from?" And Casilda said, "Mozambique." And this woman had never heard of Mozambique in her life. And she said, where's that? And Cassie said, "Well, it's sort of Southeast Africa." And the woman paused for a minute, and she said, "So." Is everyone there African American? Because <laughs> African would have you, been. Yeah, that would be Whoa. you know, or black. You can't you know can't even say black. Like oh yeah, they're all African American over there in Africa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we twist ourselves up with pretty weird things, pretzels. Yeah. So anyway, so what did you study in college? You philosophy? philosophy. Did you yeah. And were you into American Indians? I have been my whole life, yeah. yeah I, that's I, kind of the, the spiritual affinity that I found pretty early and certainly probably helped by going to a kind of a Native American-oriented shaman when I was 18 and really? doing some mushrooms out in the middle of the desert. And uh-huh. that really kind of solidified me along that path. But I had an affinity from early on. I mean, I can remember, especially on my mother's that all came from my mother's side and going out looking for arrowheads and pottery and kachina dolls and stories mm. and, and, uh, so were you in, is Austin Apache country or Comanche? Oh, man, I don't Austin's I don't flat, right? Austin's pretty flat. Yeah, I, I think, think the Apaches was, were more up in the mountains. The Apaches were up a little higher. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure who settled in that area. I'd have to kind of take a look. And But there's not very much out there. Everything's kind of more pushed up towards Oklahoma. Right. I think uh, we gave enough blankets to Texas or something like that. that 
kept everybody out. Well, yeah, and they relocated they so relocated many to Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of a bummer, but they were certainly settled all through those parks because we'll be out on a property and still see some arrowheads. Really? See some cool stuff. But it's more of a spiritual affinity than a DNA type of thing. Although I did yeah. get my DNA tested, which was kind of cool. 23andMe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I did or, that no, too. No, DNA Tribes. Oh. It's DNAtribes.com that I did. And had a couple different Native American tribes in there. Oh, really? Yeah, because what we are always wondering about, you know, I have kind of a darker skin tone than a lot of my family. Like, there's one kind of thread that goes through on my mother's side, and nobody really knows where it came from. Mm. And so we thought it might be Native American, and there is some definite Native American blood in there. So I just figured you're Italian or something. Right. A lot of people think Mediterranean. Yeah. Yeah, mostly gypsy, and, you know, then some Eastern European, and then a little bit of Indian. Right. And gypsies actually were originally from India, if I if I understand correctly. Yeah, they made their way around. Yeah. That's, that's the gypsies. But yeah, northern Portugal was where DNA tribes said that my gypsies had settled. Really? Yeah. You ever been there? I haven't. Porto. It's beautiful. Yeah. I yeah. Bet. Yeah. Some great, beautiful places up there. Mm-hmm. Talking about like native people, uh, all of northern Spain. If you ever get over there, let me know. I'll, I'll hook you up there. All through the Pyrenees, there are all these um, beautiful prehistoric caves. Cool. You know, prehistoric cave art, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can, I mean, there's the famous uh, Lascaux, which is in France, and, and some of the more famous ones that you Chauvet, can't get into. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Chauvet. Is that the one that Werner Herzog's film yeah. was about? Oh. Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Yeah, good film. But there are a lot of them that, you know, you pay five bucks and you go in. That'd be awesome. And you're like standing two meters from 15,000-year-old cave art. Mm. It's amazing. Especially the ones where they, they blew the ochre over their hands. Mm-hmm. So you see the handprints. Yeah. It's so cool. And little kids' handprints down below. Awesome. And you can see like the arthritis on the older people. It's really, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was really into American Indians as well when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I guess that's why I resent the the cowboys walking around the airports. <laughs> yeah, this is really interesting. But you could much of that you could pull it off a lot better than I could. I mean, <laughs> I was seriously, I was obsessed. This was my first and to this day probably deepest intellectual passion. Uh-huh. Started when I was eight or nine, and like I read, I would come home from school, take off my clothes, put on my loincloth which I made from bath towels, <laughs> fold a bath towel in thirds and a belt, and, you know, and hung uh-huh. down in the front and the back. Uh, I had moccasins that I had stitched up myself. Wow. Uh, I'd sent away to some Indian trading post somewhere, and they sent me the, the buckskin pre-cut, so I'd stitch those up. And, you know, I, I would, like, set snares in the backyard. I had a wigwam for a while. I had a teepee, but the teepee, I decided, this was in Pennsylvania. The teepee wasn't regionally accurate uh-huh. so i made a wigwam i stripped a tree of bark and you know made you know took saplings and what made the thing it? oh i was into That's it dude. Awesome. i was so a friend of mine was a rabbit hunter and he used to give me skin so i could um you know stretch them out in the sun in the backyard and scrape them with the sharp rock i'd found and soak them in uh was it acorns that uh-huh. had the tannic acid i mean i was so into it did you ever read uh, bury my heart at wounded knee no i haven't oh my god beautiful book i bet uh, heartbreaking because each chapter is about the sort of final days of a different tribe right um but it's it's if anybody's listening to this is interested in in that sort of american indian history and just like you want to read one book that is the classic that's a fantastic book yeah um what about um black elk speaks 
You ever read that? I haven't, you know, listened to a lot of the literature, actually. Oh, I've actually check out Blackout Speaks. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of the music, and I've gone to the you know, mu- Museum of Native American, and that was really cool in D.C. And, yeah. Um, we're actually partnered with a Native American company now called oh, Tonka. Yeah? Oh. working, making some buffalo meat products. And, um, but, yeah, I, you know, I should read some of the literature, too, because I bet that's... Your Black Elk Speaks is... Uh, fucking mind blowing. It's yeah. a, it's a true story. Here's the story. This guy, this is like in the 1920s. Okay. Mm-hmm. This guy, uh, teaches poetry at the university of Oklahoma or Nebraska or one of those flat States that I can't tell the difference between. <laughs> and, uh, he, he wants to write a, a long form poem about the like final Indian days, mm-hmm. right? Which were in that part of the country in the 1880s, the Lakota, the final battles mm-hmm. with Lakota, 18, late 1880s, I think. So he figures maybe there's some like old, people who remember some of that and he goes out to um i think someone in his class in the university was american indian and he or native american not sure what i'm supposed to say these days what the latest is um and he invites his teacher out to meet his grandfather and the grandfather is this old guy and so the teacher starts asking the grandfather about his life and the story is the grandfather agrees to share a story the story is he was like eight or nine years old. His father took him up on a, a precipice overlooking a big valley, and there was a, a train going through the valley. And he said to his son, see that, that thing that looks like a snake or an animal mm-hmm. or something? That's got white people inside it, and they're coming, and, and you're, they're going to be everywhere. And they're so over the mountains, is full of white people, and they're coming this way, and our life is going to be completely changed by the time you grow up, right? He's eight or nine at this mm-hmm. point. By the time he was... 15 or 16, he was suffering from um, what we would call uh, psychotic episodes. Like, you know, schizophrenia generally kicks in in late teens for boys, early 20s, late Mm -hmm. teens. So he was hearing like animals were talking to him. He was having all these hallucinogenic uh, experiences, not aided by any plants, just organic. And... um, and he, meanwhile, his, his tribe is getting wiped out. I think he was in the Lakota or the Cheyenne, one right. of those big plains tribes. And um, so he, he's having this thing, and, and uh, he, he's in a coma for three days. And when he comes out of the coma, the, the village shaman sits down with him and asks him to, to tell him all about his visions that he had while he was in the coma. And so the the boy explains that he saw these visions of four horsemen riding in from each of the four directions into the center of the village and all the people and the way they were arranged and all this stuff. So the shaman talks to the people in the the village, and they all reenact this boy's vision, right? So what we would do is say, ah, you're fucking crazy. Take this pill and, you know, be quiet. What they did was they reenacted the vision for this boy because they considered him to be called to shamanize. Right. Right. And in shamanism, as I'm sure you know, there are two two levels of shaman. There are those who want to be a shaman, and they're sort of the lower level. And there are those who have to be a shaman. They're called to shamanize. They're they're touched in some way. And the people know that if they can support this person and get them through this crisis, that they'll forever be able to to heal people because they know how to move between worlds. Mm -hmm. Right. So the people have a vested interest in in helping somebody that we would call crazy, yeah. right? With all this love and support and all. This. So he eventually he got through this and he learned to control his different mental states and and um, 
And meanwhile, his tribe's getting wiped out, mm-hmm. right? So while all this is happening. So now he's like 22, 23, 24 years old. He's considered a shaman, young, but, uh, but he's a healer. He's a wise person. And he knows he has to, the only way he can help his people is to really understand the whites, right? So he decides to join Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, which was this like Shooting circus thing. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that had real live Indians, right? right? So he joined this traveling circus and went with them to Chicago and then to New York. Imagine this guy. This guy. Now he's like 25 years old, right? Uh-huh. 15 years ago, his father was like, white people are coming. And now he's in New York, right? And then they took a ship to Europe. And they traveled through wow. Europe doing this thing. And then he got separated from the troop in the south of France. He spent two years in the south of France living with some French family who took him in. Wow. Before he could figure out how to get back to America. Or, or I'm not sure if he went AWOL or exactly. Uh, I don't remember exactly the details. But anyway, he had all these visions. And he had a vision of his mother dying. And so he decided he had to get back to America. He mm-hmm. found a ship, whatever, got some money. So that's this guy's story. You know, that, and he was just some old man hanging out on the reservation. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, is that crazy? Unbelievable. Yeah, Black Elk Speaks, a really great book. Yeah. yeah. Just should, when you hear something like that, I mean, you can think two things. Well, one thing is how many of those people in stories didn't get picked up, you know, yeah. by some random chance. But it also makes you kind of wonder if the universe doesn't give little pushes for certain people to kind of reveal certain things and make connections and uh you know i don't know which way to go with that because i mean i'm sure this has happened to you i think it happens to everybody you're you're walking down a street and you run into someone randomly like who you know here you are in santa monica right you might walk down the street and run into somebody you went to high school with in austin right like well dude what's it happens all the time right now Mathematically, you say if that happens to you, what, uh, 20 times in a lifetime, 30 times, whatever, how many times does it almost happen? How many times is that guy like two minutes away, (laughs) right? Or or he's got the newspaper in front of his face when you walk by, or you know what I mean? So if it happens that many times, it must almost happen a lot more times, which doesn't seem possible. You know, it just doesn't seem possible that. And I was I was in uh, the Kruger Park a couple of weeks ago in South mm-hmm. Africa, and you drive along these dirt roads. You ever been there? No, dirt, I haven't. So you drive along these dirt roads, and it's like every hundred meters, there's a goddamn lion lying under a bush. Yeah, and it's like, are all these lions hanging out by the road, <laughs> or is is there like a lion every hundred meters in this entire park? It's incredible. Yeah, I don't know. I asked someone there, and they were like, "No, they, they don't like. There's no reason for them to hang out by the road. In fact, they're kind of irritated by the dust and the cars." And yeah, yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, I, you certainly, you know, you certainly, at least for me, I feel that there's certain subtle pushes that that happen, especially if you're kind of in tune, or even if you're yeah. checked out and just allowing that kind of hidden wind to, to guide you without really thinking anything to the contrary. So I'm certainly in that camp that yeah, maybe it's not going to directly align two ships, you know, leaving two different points and force them to touch. Yeah. But it's going to be a win that'll kind of push things in a certain direction. I think that's kind of where I yeah, where I draw it at least from my experience. I mean, like you and I probably know a lot of people in common, but if we don't if they don't happen to come up in conversation, we'll never know. Uh-huh. You know, like it turned out the other day we both know Rick Doblin. Yeah. Now that's sort of 
you could figure that out because we're both interested in hallucinogens and clinical right. use of you know alternative therapies and you know so there's some way you could have predicted that but i'll bet there are other people we'll never know you know <laughs> we'll just have to open up our phones like we, we may have slept with the same woman at some point we we could be closer related than we what know do they call that what they, what's the name for like that scrotum Eskimo buddies brothers? i don't know <laughs> someone depends if it was the same day you know <laughs> someone called it eskimo brothers and no offense to the eskimos i have no i don't idea. think you're allowed to call them eskimos they're inuits yeah inuit brothers yeah yeah well, that wasn't the name for it at that, at that time. inuit pie my favorite ice cream <laughs> that was uh, that's pretty funny yeah well I, they probably call them eskimo brothers because the the inuits also known as the eskimos are um they they have a, a sort of a social system in which they women are sleeping with different men particularly when you travel because it's so damn cold up there right and so a sign of hospitality is that the man, the sort of the head man of the village will let you sleep in his bed with his wife. How polite. I know. The the Norseman, the, the Rudmundsen, I think this was the first guy who really explored up there, was uh-huh. kind of blown away by that. Yeah. You and there, there was actually, there was a black guy. There was some really interesting story. Uh, sorry, African-American guy <laughs> who was in one of those early parties in Greenland who I don't remember if he stayed there or he just got a bunch of women pregnant. And like, so there were these black kids being born in Greenland because of this guy. I don't, I it's a distant echo. I remember reading the story years ago uh, and seeing photographs. Yeah. Yeah. The, someone told me a story about talking about this word play uh, early on when, when, uh, Someone somewhere determined that um, black was no longer appropriate, and we had to say Mm -hmm. African-American. There was a story in the New York Times about, you know, intergalactic space that talked about African-American holes having incredible energy and (laughs) and gravity because some computer program had just gone through and switched it all. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's, I like hearing your stories about these different cultures and just... Pointing different ways that things can be normal, you know. Well, you just assume yeah, that your way is is the normal right. way. And, and I think I told it on my podcast, but for people who aren't going to get to that, you know, I, I had a, an interview with uh, photographer Jimmy Nelson from before yeah. he passed away, yeah. and he was telling me some different stories of some of the cultures, and it was the Himba people in Namibia, in which the all the men go out to their herdsmen, so they take the herd out to the grasslands, and one man stays home with the rest of the females in the tribe, and it's that man's um, that man's responsibility to sexually pleasure any of the women that are left around that are feeling kind of horny as, right. as their husbands are gone. And then they know everybody has a turn, and uh, that's the way the system works. It's just a much better way to do things without having to create all of the secrecy and adultery and all of the other nonsense. But I wonder yeah. with the, the Inuits, what was the... What was kind of the social motivation for that? How did that kind of develop? Well, the the explanations I've read in the anthropological data is, or the reports, is that uh, it's a, a network because the it, you know, it's very hard to travel up there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when because the distances are long, because the animals are scarce, so mm-hmm. you know the population density is pretty low, and. Um, so you want to establish networks of um, of cooperation and of assistance, mutual assistance. Uh, and one of the ways of doing that is, first of all, 
absolute hospitality, yeah. right? Which you find in many parts of the world, sure. right? Uh, guests, even like Afghanistan, someplace like that, which we think of as being inhospitable, you know, actually they're some of the most hospitable people in the world. Mm-hmm. If you are their guest, they will risk their life to de- defend you. Right. Right. Even if you're just some guy who stumbled into the village in the middle of the night, they don't know you from Adam, right. you are their guest. Right. So, um, uh, there's there's that tradition among the the Inuits as well, but also you know in many cases sexuality is used as a way of establishing and maintaining this trust and these bonds right even over distance yeah so you know and it sort of makes sense in a way and now presumably the women are into it right yeah, sure. like a lot of people will say ah oh, they're you know it's wife swapping or it's you know coercive. I I don't know. I'm not an expert on this, but generally in these sorts of uh, hunter-gatherer societies, women's status is very high. So women aren't sleeping with someone unless they want to. Mm -hmm. And you see this all over the place. Um, When uh, Marco Polo did his travels in whatever it was, 14-something or 13-something, he went, he and his his father and his uncle, the three Italians who were doing this famous travel along the spice route, they got to a place in China um, among the Mosuo people who we write about in Sex at Dawn who are mm-hmm. still living there. And women have absolute sexual autonomy in this society, as do men. Mm-hmm. Um, they, uh, people who haven't read Sex at Dawn, they, they practice something that anthropologists call walking marriage. But which just shows you the bias of the Western mind, because the the most world people themselves say it's nothing like marriage. There's yeah. every sexual encounter is seen as an individual event with absolutely no implications for the future. And if someone tries to control or manipulate another person, they're seen as pitiful and ridiculous. Right. So everything is absolutely free. Right. And when women get pregnant, the responsibility for the child falls to the woman and her sisters and her brothers. The, the man who physically got her pregnant has no responsibility at all. His responsibility is to his sister's kids. Got it. So that's the way the, the society is set up. Anyway, Marco Polo got there. And his uncle and his father, and they spent a couple of weeks there, and they thought that they were getting away with something when they were sleeping they with these women. They were so sexy that they... <laughs> they're Italian, you know, all Italians. Can you believe it? They can't. Resist. They're probably risking death. To yeah, sleep exactly. With us. Oh, if these dudes found out what we're doing, like the dudes knew exactly what they were doing, they were fine with it, you know. So yeah, we see this all the time, and even on a micro level, you know, in in my own life, when even before the book came out, when I became sort of outspokenly nonjudgmental about people's sexual, even before, even when I was in college, this must be something like that pre, there's something innate in me or something. Because I mean, I was in college when a guy, I, I remember I was sitting in the student union and this guy who I knew who was married uh, sat down with me and we were chatting and he said, his wife's name was Terry, and he said, um, "You like Terry?" I said, "Yeah, Terry's great." And she was great. And he said, well, "She likes you too." I said, "Oh, that's 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 great." <laughs> he said, "I just want you to know, if you and Terry want to get into something, that's absolutely fine with me." I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Let me check my schedule. Oh, it's yeah. clear. Yeah, <laughs> Terry. Yeah, what's yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that that was probably the first time. But since then, oh my God. It, the, and I'm not, I mean, this isn't, this might sound sort of um, 
arrogant or whatever. It's not that I'm, you know, irresistible. It's that it's that when people sense that you're not judgmental, mm-hmm. suddenly all sorts of stuff pops out. Sure. You know, There's so much repression, you know, yeah. and they get that release to, you know, I knew that from back in the days where I was, you know, working, doing the marketing for Fleshlight, you know, mm. you mentioned, you mentioned that you are working for the Fleshlight, a male sex toy company, and people just open the floodgates. <laughs> you know, you get stories of all kinds of crazy shit. I mean, stuff that you would never imagine they'd tell a stranger. But at the point that you're creating pussies that go in flashlights, I'm right. like, fuck it. All bets are off. I yeah. can tell this dude anything. Hey, do any of them actually have flashlights? No, we get that. We got that question a lot. <laughs> you though. should design one. So you could, like walk around with this thing on your dick that would light up. <laughs> <laughs> the room, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, this might not be the perfect moment to bring Whitney in, but I see she just, uh, hi. Whitney, you want to come join in on the conversation with me? Come on in. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Although, I, I have to warn you, it's been pretty um, raunchy so far. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Just what I like. Okay, so... So Whitney, you guys are, are together. Together, okay. I, I never know. We live together. It's like Inuit and Eskimo, you know, <laughs> boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, whatever. The, um, how long have you been together? It's been about eighteen months, right? Something like that. Eighteen months, and how do you? I have no idea. Something like that's that. That's a good sign. I like that you have no idea. A year and a half ish. Yeah, that's good. When if you start counting too closely, that's yeah. It just gets annoying. Why would you? I mean, don't even bother with it. <laughs> right, Cassie and I have been together f- fourteen years, uh, three months, and twelve days. Oh no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But it's it's awkward because people say, you know, oh, how long you've been married? No idea. Yeah. Not not even uh, not uh, I don't know because all I remember is how long we've been together, how long we've known each other. Everything right. else, who gives a shit? Yeah, anniversaries. Oh, please, no. Well, we did celebrate our sex anniversary. Oh, sex anniversary. There's well, a good it's word. Actually called a fuck anniversary. Oh, <laughs> oh sorry. That's that's the Wikipedia entry. <laughs> no, I have no idea, but that's what I decided it was a good name. <laughs> the urban, very urban. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's in the Urban Dictionary. Well, I guess that's what we celebrate as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now that now you know there was a name for we'll it. It's like that color, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what you celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's not get let's not get me talking about that. Because <laughs> I, I was saying earlier that that Casilda doesn't do interviews because she's very uh, she jealously guards her privacy. Oh, okay. You know she does. Also, she you know English is her seventh language. So she can say really weird things sometimes, um, which, w- you know, if you're in an interview, it could be weird. Right. You know, it Come could be something. Yeah. Seventh language? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Sometimes all seven will come out in the same sentence. It's, it's amazing. When, she, when she's mad or aroused? When do, when do all seven come out? Either one. Either one. Or just, just a little scattered, you know. Um, but she's funny. She's like a, um, she's like a superhero, right? Because she's there's like Clark Kent Superman thing going on. Mm-hmm. There's Doctor Cassie when she's working, or if if there's some reason that that part of her gets engaged, like somebody gets hurt or whatever, yeah. she she like stops making any mistakes. She's like completely focused in like a laser. When she's not Dr. Cassie, she's scattered all over the place. She's really? yeah, completely like a split personality. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing to see actually. I remember we were in uh we were in Italy in uh, Assisi, Italy, 
And we had just gotten ice creams, and we were walking through this beautiful plaza eating our ice creams, and then all these kids playing football. And some other kid comes through on a moped, and he was going a little fast, not too fast, but he was going pretty fast. And one of the little kids ran out in front of him, and he hit him in the head with the handlebar. Oh, no. And the kid dropped. And the, the guy on the bike stopped. And there was this crowd gathering, and they were, like, starting, like, people were shaking his bike, and, like, it was getting, like, a lynch mob kind of situation, and the kid's on the ground unconscious. And Cassie just threw her ice cream down, and just, and she's small, right? And she just went right into the center of this crowd, like, get out of the way, out of the way, you do this, you do that, you, like, took control, wow. And I was just standing there, like, licking my ice cream, you know? Like, is it weird if I finish this ice cream? Yeah, yeah, I mean, do you do need... I throw mine away, too? <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, I was like, no. that was an expensive ice cream you just threw on the floor there, woman, and you're not getting it's paid so for this. Though. Yeah. No, she's cool. She moved... We met in Portugal, and uh, then she moved to Barcelona to, to be with me. And she, when she came to Barcelona, she learned Spanish and Catalan, two languages, in three months. What? And then she was working in those two languages, writing medical reports, doing interviews in two completely new languages in three months. Amazing. And then she'd come home and speak English to me at night. They wow. say that when yeah. you get those pathways kind of primed early with multiple languages, adding other ones gets it's easy. easier. Yeah, yeah I think <laughs> that's I true. I still can't imagine it's easy, but it gets easier. Yeah, because you sort of have templates, right. I think, at that point. Wow, yeah. that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so enough about my wife. Let's talk about you. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're like you're a big shot. You're a, a <laughs> champion. Know. What were you? A professional wake surfer. Wake surfer and yeah. surfer. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And former Miss what? Miss United States. Miss United States. So what? There's Miss USA. There's Miss America. There's Miss United States. Right. Three uh, different organizations. Pretty much the same thing. Was Donald Trump involved in this at all? He's in USA. Oh, okay. But not in yours. Different organization. Right. Right. So you can compete in the other ones and flip-flop and do whatever you want to do. Oh. I just stuck with one. I don't see the the need to go to the other ones and compete. Right. And then they also have like a Mrs. USA and a Mrs. This. Oh, yeah. They'll have Mrs. They have, I mean, you see like toddlers and tiaras, these little baby, like two-year-olds competing. It, It blows my mind that that really goes on. It's crazy. How'd you get into it? When I went to go see, when I went to speak on that, when I went to go see her compete, you know, she was coming up later and they, to get more people in the crowd, I think they put the younger divisions up. And there's like this 12 to 14 year old division. And they're wearing like full on bikinis, full makeup, high heels, hair done. And they're these 12 year old kids. And you're like, this is super awkward. <laughs> yeah. Super awkward. You don't want to applaud too loudly. Yeah, yeah. it's just weird. Like, I, I see what you're trying to do. If you're successful, it's awkward. Right. And if you're unsuccessful, it's awkward because you're trying to do something that you, you shouldn't be doing anyways. It's a really kind of weird bracket there. Yeah. Or at least the kids, unless you're a fucking maniac, there's none of the confusion, you know. But you start getting in these preteens, it's like, maybe you should just make a... Gap, take a break, take yeah. A break or something. I'm not that I'm a fan of the kids. I think it's pretty fucking preposterous, anyways. But it does get super yeah. It is. It is a weird thing where we're in this society that's constantly saying kids are asexual beings. Kids until you're like 18, you are not a sexual being, right? right? 
but I'm going to dress my daughter up, you know, in these provocative in a bikini and parade her around in front of strangers with numbers. It's, bikini and heels. It's the heels because you see yeah. kids wear bathing suits, you know. But a bathing suit. Well, it's makeup, also and like heels. yeah, all of that together. But plus, you're on stage with bright lights. Right. Everything shows if you're not using what you should be using. And what do we mean by well, using? Well, I mean like okay, so for we're example, about if we're talking about waxes here. So like no, like your underwear or oh. your bikini, you have to put a band-aid where your vagina is. What? Yes, otherwise you see everything when you're on stage with Oh, because of the bright lights. Bright lights and then it's just like every single little oh, ripple wow. or anything shows. So when you're 12 years old you know you band-aids Lord. So for the Miss USA division you know they're always in need of band-aid pliers for people. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want, if you want right. to sign up as oh, a band-aid God. applier. Yeah, I'm trying they to figure out. never find enough of those guys. But, <laughs> yeah. Where does the band-aid go though? I'm sorry to be awkward so, here. So what? I mean, I mean you're trying to avoid camel toe here. Is right. that what we're doing? Yeah. So you okay. envision that. So you get like like the medium sized band aids. Like if you were to oh the square outside, ones. The square oh, ones. not the strip. Not the oh, strip. Oh, okay. I mean, you All can right. use the strip. If you use the strip, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. yeah. The smaller the band-aid, the more interesting it goes. Yeah. Now, do you go horizontal, so perpendicular, forming the cross? No. Or do you go straight down? Straight up and down. But it has to reach both sides. Well, I mean, how big is a vagina? I mean, it's not it's, that big. Every vagina is different. <laughs> like dicks. Well, a mine fits in like a normal, <laughs> normal, medium-sized. See this. Band-aid. This this is my pride as an interviewer. <laughs> Within five minutes of sitting down, we're talking about. So, how big is your vagina, <laughs> Miss USA? Uh, we're going to be doing the vagina competition oh, uh, coming up. What did I get myself into? <laughs> I was just going to take a picture of you guys, and now I'm sitting we, here we talking roped about you vaginas. In. The, I didn't think it was possible for the conversation to get even more uh, rancid, but well, somehow we we've managed it. Okay, so. Uh, so how did you get into that? Like, what's you know, what was your um, your motivation? Well, I think the motivation for me was that I mean, you look at these pageant queens, and it all seems like they're this Barbie, and that they're not very real. And you always see that people are making fun of them for not being smart, and you have to be perfect, and all this stuff. And for me, I decided to do Miss Texas a week beforehand. And this was when I was competing in wake surfing, so really all I cared about was being on the lake and getting on the water as much Uh as possible. And a girlfriend of mine um, called me and was like, you should definitely compete. And I told her no right off the bat. Is there money in it? Um, You get, like, some money, but it's mainly sponsorship. So, like, Uh you you get your hair paid for and your nails and Uh all of that good stuff. And at this point you were looking for sponsors for the wakeboarding? Um, yeah, kind of, but this was just like totally unrelated. She just called me one day and asked me to compete. And so long story short, I did it. I borrowed dress, heels, everything. Band-aid. Band-aid. I actually bought the band-aid and borrowed that one. Yeah. And, um, went and competed in one, um, swimsuit and one Miss Texas. Wow. I decided to just go in there and be myself and talk to them and not give them the pageant answers. That you hear so, and often. they like that. They liked it. So wow. they liked it. See, that's what we were talking about this the other day. I think before we started recording, the power of not giving a shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you go into a competition where you're like, you know true. what? Who gives a damn? I'm, I'm just you know, a week ago I didn't know I was going to do this. Yeah. You know, this yeah. isn't my dream. Whatever. Mm-hmm. You wing it, 
And the fact that you don't give a shit comes across as this incredible self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it can really definitely. work. And they're attracted to it. You know, right. And help them be attracted to it. Yeah. 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 So you won that and then you went to the next level yeah. and, it, and it was it, kind of the same deal. I mean, I, I did like one or two trainings, but there, I had people all over me trying to change me into this and mm, say, you need yeah. to do this, you need to do this. And I was like, it's not going to happen. It just doesn't work for me. How old way. were you at this point? I was 23. Hmm. Yeah, 22, gave, 23. Crown, I just gave it up in eight, July, last July. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So I'm 24 I now. like the way you say that. I gave it up. She gave up the crown as if you had a choice. No, no, I'm <laughs> keeping it. I'm keeping it. it. I wanted the girl to fight me for Come it. Take it from me, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I see a game. I Let's see a reality show here. You know, you want the crown? Come and get it. <laughs> like old Viking law. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You want to be the king. Yeah, yeah. Viking Hunger Games. Combat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, also, you're a recent, I don't want to say dethroned. You weren't dethroned. Because you no. can't like keep it for another year, right? You, you can't, can't keep it. Like returning um, champ or something. You can't Vladimir Putin that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm coming back. Oh, my term's ended. Yeah. Now I'm the prime minister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, so you're, and, and you're also a surfer, like yeah. a regular wave surfer. Yeah, yeah. used to be. Not so much anymore since I moved to Austin. Oh, they don't have very great surfing there, do they? The beaches there are lacking a little bit. I tried to learn surfing uh, two winters ago in Nicaragua. Nice. Um, Not a bad place to learn. Oh, it was perfect. It was the perfect place to learn. I was on this beautiful beach. Uh, It was a beach where... um, what was that TV show Survivor? I think there's some oh, show where yeah. they'd like put people Survivor. in the middle of somewhere. They had they had filmed on this beach. In fact, the road was cut through the jungle by the crew for Survivor to do this thing. Anyways, this beautiful beach, like straight waves about four feet high, just rolling in one after another. That's awesome. And I found this American um, ex marine guy who uh, gave lessons, and he took me out there and. I have to say to my to my shame I could I never got up on the board. The first time I sort of got halfway up I fell straight down into the board, slammed <laughs> oh, my no. head, literally saw stars, right? Like I hadn't since I wrecked my bike in 12, oh, you know, I was 12 no. or something. And uh and then after that, I could never quite get up. And it, it was pathetic because these were like little baby waves. Well, sometimes know? it's easier if you have a little bit bigger wave. Thank you. That's just her being nice. Thank you. That, that's really <laughs> nice. I, I appreciate that. It would have been so much better if I had man-sized waves. Yeah. You would have got up for I would have been up. I would have been shooting. What do they call it? Shoot the, shoot the breeze? Shoot the barrel. Shoot, shoot the barrel. Is that what it's called? Shoot the barrel. <laughs> I don't mean shooting barrels <laughs> left and right. Yeah, when you go through yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, or shoot yeah. the tube? Or, I don't know what it's called. Well, you tell me. You're the expert. Shoot the barrel. <laughs> That's funny. You got real Texan there for a second. Are you, were you from Texas originally? Born and raised, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have horses? No. No? I grew up on the coast, so Corpus Christi. Oh, okay. On the water. Oh. Yeah. It's like hurricane country, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was the best time for them to serve. It was. Hurricane uh-huh. swells were awesome. Not when it was coming like straight for us, but when it would veer north to like Houston and Louisiana, it would work out really nicely for us, which sounds horrible. Horrible. Yeah, so it sounds really yeah. bad. I hope that hurricane hits those cages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, best. That's yeah, a good way. Man, to when the when the fourth, what's it called? The quarter, the in New Orleans, the fourth quarter, yeah, the French quarter, French, French quarter. quarter. Yeah. yeah, Katrina was the Y'all best, the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, bad. That's bad. <laughs> Although I have to say, I do sort of root for disasters to be as bad as possible. Explain. It, uh, because I feel like uh, like our society is going in such a tragic, ridiculous direction that the only thing that's going to ha- get through our heads like we got to change this is cataclysm. major cataclysm. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. best thing that could happen would be like like a tsunami hits Washington, D.C., you know, it has to hit those fuckers where they live. Yeah. It's not an, I mean, obviously they can fly over New Orleans in an airplane and go, Oh, that's tragic. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. release some funding, send the national guard, but it's got to hit them where they live. Otherwise they won't do shit. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named Robert Sapolsky. Who's a, a neurobiologist mm-hmm. who teaches at Stanford. A very cool guy. Very interesting guy. He's got like long, crazy hair and a, you're down to here and i i was talking to rogan about him saying like hey, you should have him on your show he's really interesting and they pulled him up on the screen and joe looked at it and he said well the one thing i can tell about that guy is he just doesn't give a fuck <laughs> <laughs> based on his personal grooming habits but anyway uh he spends every summer for 25 years in kenya uh studying this one troop of baboons He's been going there since he was a student. And so he knows this troop of baboons perfect. He knows, you know, generations and generations. And when he first started studying, they were sort of out in the middle of nowhere in the Maasai country. But then uh, about 10 years ago now, they built a tourist hotel and uh, in the area where this troop of baboons is. So then they've got um, uh, a dump, right? And so the baboons are now feeding in the dump. Did you write about this in your book? Yeah, okay. yeah, I like, yeah, I did. Okay, so you know the familiar. story. Yeah, it's the problem with writing a book. Like but everyone's heard your damn stories. It's really interesting, though. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it, it relates to the tsunami in D.C. I'm, pro- I'm probably a terrorist for wishing for that now. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to be hiding out with Snowden yeah. somewhere. Um, but uh, what happened was that the uh, some of the, the the meat, the good stuff in the dump, went to the dominant males of the troop, right? And then everybody else got. The, the less desirable food and at one point there was tuberculosis in the meat so all the dominant males got this poisoned meat and then suddenly they all died so it would be like if dc and wall street were suddenly gone you know flash boom now what do we do Whoa. so he thought well it's going to be terrible because when baboons reach sexual maturity the males go out and join other groups so these new males are going to come in and it's going to be like vikings raping and pillaging because mm-hmm. they're defenseless they don't have any adult males you know dominant males to defend them but in the meantime they developed this culture of like very chilled out baboon behavior where people, you know, that weren't people, where baboons weren't like harassing each other as is right. typical with baboons and raping and murdering and all this. So he went back the next summer thinking, oh boy, I wonder if the troops even going to be left, you know? And he gets back and there were new males, but the new males were really chilled out. Yeah, they just changed, caused a shift. In right. So the dominant there. paradigm in that troop was like, hey, no, we don't treat each other that way, man. You know, you're welcome, but chill out. And like, oh, okay, they chilled out. So for me, it's like one of the few hopeful, hopeful so things. So if that were to happen, a tsunami hit in Washington, do you think <clears throat> something similar would happen with our society, or are we just too far gone? 
You know, I suspect we're too far gone, but I don't really know. No, nobody knows. I mean, I, I think the problem is scale. I think that when there are this many people on the planet, the only way to run things is coercion and fear and force and, and mind manipulation. So I think really, you know, we can individually, you and I were talking about this on, on your podcast the other day, which what's your podcast called, by the way? Warrior Poet Project. Warrior Poet Project. So check that out if you want to hear more from Aubrey and me. We didn't tell the exact same stories, I don't think. But, um, but you know, we were talking about how, like, how we can apply these principles of egalitarianism and openness and sharing and freedom and all that. I think we can form pockets, especially those of us who are lucky enough to have enough money and time and flexibility mm-hmm. to live where we want to live. You know, I think you guys, you and Joe were talking. Oh, no, no. After I listened to your podcast with Joe, I listened to the one he had done with Shane Smith mm-hmm. uh, from Vice. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about Shane Smith was talking about how, you know, the more he talks to people in upper levels of government and at the U.N. and whatever, they've all got a place up in the mountain somewhere, uh, yeah. you know, a place to go hide when the shit hits the fan. And I was thinking about that and because I think about that sometimes, you know, and I was thinking that the problem with that is everybody's isolated, that what we really need to do is like a group of people who all love each other and respect each other, get a place together, Yeah, you know, and some can live there and take care of it. Those who are free and the others who have to be down in the city working can be working. But if anything happens, you've got that. You know, that uh, safety in numbers. And when it at least be fun in the meantime, you know, and be a place to gather and be a place yeah. to socialize and have a sense of tribe, absolutely. But I have a slightly more optimistic viewpoint on, uh, on how it could go. You know, you look at, take a look at what's happened from, take the Catholic Church as an example. And probably not too many organizations have exerted more fear, more guilt, more mm-hmm. control, more mind control than them throughout the years. Right? And look at the evolution that they've taken to survive up till now when this pope is extremely progressive with his yeah. ideas compared to past popes. I mean, it was Hieronymus Bosch, all different types of ways to torture. We climbed Il Duomo in Florence and there's demons with flaming rods going in people's asses and flaming rods and pussies and dragons eating entrails out and all of this horrible hellfire brimstone you're going to burn in hell pay us to pay to pray for your ancestors so they don't burn in hell all of this craziness and now you look at kind of where it's going and it's much softer it's and they're modifying their behavior to survive to stay with the masses and i think while the government is a little bit slow you know you can see some of these forces at work as well you can look at it with the gay rights and same-sex marriage you can see the masses demanding a shift and the political system slowly. You always got to drag them kicking and streaming, but slowly yeah. kind of respond. Even drug laws. I mean, drug here laws. we are. Another California, Colorado, it's Colorado, it's Colorado, yeah. legal now. So you see these things where when the people move, you know, they drag the government along like a reluctant and calcitrant anchor, but it eventually comes. And so while shit may hit the fan, while cataclysm certainly could create, you know, some kind of fresh start. I think it's possible if enough of a critical mass is reached and that consciousness is pervasive enough that we could drag the government along. You know, they're certainly not going to be out in the forefront. There's no visionary leaders yeah. out there that are going yeah. to help lead the way. But we could just drag them along until they get, they'll never quite catch up, 
but they'll be a hell of a lot better than they were. And that could maybe be a, a positive outcome for the future. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right. That's the only possible positive outcome that I can see other than, you know, just massive disasters. And then the five or six million people who are left say, fuck that, that didn't work. Let's, let's like do this other, right. take another path, you know? But, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Internet does seem to offer ways to do that. I, I would say we'd have to – people would have to use the Internet to organize in a way that they haven't yet. Mm-hmm. You know, we're organizing for for merchandise and porn watching. You know, like if <laughs> if you want to see, like, you know, fat-bottomed, unshaven Japanese girls with blonde hair, like there's a – Oh! Yeah, it's there. But if you want to, like, boycott – Home Depot because the guy who owns it's a prick, yeah, and you know he's fighting all these things that we're talking about. That's a lot harder to, you know, you can tweet about it, but like, how's yeah, that going to social media? But you see it with Monsanto, right? The real evil ones. You know how many viral videos, yeah, and posts, and but Monsanto's making a ton of money and they don't give a shit. You know, <laughs> I mean, they'll just hire the lobbyists. It's like the yeah, oil they industry. Hired, they like hired Blackwater, which is even more yeah, terrifying. Right, they hired the. Zay, yeah, yeah. an army of ex special forces, private. Yeah. yeah, that's that's terrifying. But ultimately, I think eventually, you know, there'll be enough people aligned against them that it'll be a problem. I mean, I see the Dooms Clock on SeaWorld already. You know, like that, oh, that Blackfish, film, Blackfish, Ooh, that, that was heavy. To me, there's a clock on the wall. Right. How long does SeaWorld have? Right. Because sure. it makes such a persuasive case. Yeah, that. They're fucked. You know, they can't get away with doing that to a sentient sea being like the orcas yeah. forever. For, for people don't, who haven't seen it, really check out this film, Blackfish. It's about the the orcas, uh, particularly one orca that they had at mm-hmm. uh, SeaWorld. And, I mean, the the scenes where they're catching them up oh, in yeah. British Columbia and, and the other orcas won't leave and they just stay there and they've got the baby in the net and it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Unbelievable. And the Cove. Have you seen the Cove? Yeah. yeah. That's I the next one I got to see. telling him when you watch the Cove, but that's hard to watch too. It's hard to watch. And I mean, outside yeah. of SeaWorld, you have all of these resorts that have swim with the dolphins and pretty much... The same thing is happening to these dolphins that's happened to the orcas at SeaWorld. Yeah, you just the don't. smaller organizations, too. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I mean, at least, uh, no, I'm not excusing anything, but at least with a dolphin, you know, in a big pen, there's there's some place to swim. Yeah. I mean, those the scenes of the orcas that are like, you know, it'd be like us being trapped in a bathroom for mm-hmm. the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't want to get into the the muck and the mire. I mean, we talk about we can talk about prison. That's a thing that's really been on my mind a lot recently. American prison system is just out of control. Yeah, you know, and and in every one of these things, I guess this is why I'm less hopeful. You know, government is one thing, but at this point, I think I don't remember who it was. Somebody said that you can always tell uh, who's got the power by who has the tallest buildings. <laughs> you know. So historically, if you look, I mean, initially it was the church, right? You know, in medieval villages, always the church spire was the tallest mm-hmm. building, and then uh, you know, in the eighteen hundreds, probably it became uh, the governments, you know, the city hall and that For sort of side. thing. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, now it's corporations. Like, right. there's no government building anywhere half as high as most of the corporate building, and so it's like, uh, was it Frank Zappa said? Um, 
politics is the entertainment division of the military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. Like that's just to keep us thinking we're, you know, changing something, but really meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. Yeah. Obama. What, I mean, what the hell, what the hell dude? Yeah. I like I was, Obama. I was super hopeful. Yeah, me like, too. I, I mean, I yeah, it's such a bummer how that ended up happening. Yeah. But, you know, I think that they'll have to, eventually they'll have to respond. You know, I, I do think they are, they're going to have to be reactive and they'll have to kind of sort of figure it out. The only ways to make money, it's not a zero-sum game entirely. You know, they've, they've gotten away with making money in really shitty, you know, shitty ways that are detrimental to right. the entire planet. But there's a lot of ways that you can make some shifts and make money in ways that aren't like that. You know, I don't think it, that's the only way to make money. That's the only way to have a corporation. You know what I mean? I think there's plenty of opportunity for very, you know, responsible, conscious corporations to make really strong, positive impacts. I mean, at the point that you see, especially internationally, you know, you see wealth growing in places like Brazil. You know, there's still tons of opportunity, even if you think America is saturated in you know, mm. places in Africa. So much opportunity for more wealth to be created if you can get rid of corruption and if you could help support things in a conscious way instead of just being another pillager of a resource and an indigenous people, you know? So I don't think you have to think of it as a zero sum game where the only way these corporations can take, cause they're going to take, they're going to make money is to do something evil. I think they could eventually morph if they needed to, to survive into something that was something that was better, but it's going to take, it's going to take critical mass. You know, what would be great is, and maybe this already exists, but some sort of app on your phone that, like you could just say, you know, based upon, uh, you know, like a report from some trusted source, right? And they rate companies based on how cool they are to their right. employees, to the environment, and yeah. so on. And it's on your phone. And so when you're in the store, and you just scan things, and your phone's like, oh, no, get that one. Not the Doritos, get the Fritos. Right. You know, oh, not right. this, get yes. that. You know, so it's like a Yelp. Or so, yeah, like, yeah. But it's like automatic because people don't have time, you know, to go and read, like, oh, wait, wait, uh, Monsanto's bad, but what about 3M company? And you and, don't you know, even know who's behind half this shit. Right, yeah, maybe they're all owned by the same people. I Monsanto shit, even though I hate them, just because I didn't know. Oh, that's well, sure. I mean, you go to a restaurant, you, yeah. you know, whatever, There's, it's everywhere. Yeah. But it would be cool if it could be automated in some way mm -hmm. so that people like us who want to support the progressive companies, you know, it just happens automatically. And like, okay, you pay 10% more. Who gives a shit? 10% is nothing if it's sure. going to like, you know, reduce yeah, plastic awesome. in the ocean. You just have to get the controls out so they didn't try to game your system. Yeah, the NSA comes you. in through the back door. But that's a great idea. I mean, I think that's, that's the kind of thinking it will take so that cons consumer choice will demand... You know, as these shitty companies see their market share give way yeah. to these better, more conscious companies. Like onit.com, yeah, for yeah, example. Yeah, <laughs> so what, what do you sell on Onnit? I've, I've looked around on the site a little bit, but I, I don't have a comprehensive understanding. We kind of have three arms of the company. One is to create you know, nutritional supplements based around natural earth-grown nutrients that are highly effective and grouped together around a certain concept. So Alpha Brain puts the best cognitive enhancers together designed to directly stimulate your neurotransmitters. Do you have any beta brain? Because I'm not sure I can handle having an alpha brain. I mean, I've got a beta body. I can't have an alpha brain in this I think thing. you already got it, man. We should take an example from you on that one. Um, but then, you know, on down the line from mood to bones and joints to testosterone enhancement to 
whatever concept we have, we take the same principle. What's going to be only helpful for you? Earth-grown nutrient and also highly effective and the best possible ingredient sources we can make and try to come up with different ingredients or different combinations that um, are really going to you know, make you take notice when you take them. And that's kind of the core. We have some uh, really cool functional foods too, some hemp proteins and mm. different things that people are sleeping on a little bit. Oh, uh, they make, taste so good. Yeah, that making like ridiculous. A, a really delicious hemp protein. Which Has it gotten is, uh, easier to, to work with hemp? Because I know it's nope. it's been difficult in this country. Not really. We've really? got to import it from Canada at this right. point. Uh, uh, but I think with production kind of ramping up, it'll it'll get easier. Yeah. Um, and then we got our fitness line, just taking functional movements instead of having to go to a gym and um, you know get a kettlebell or a mace or a club or a rope or, right and uh, get your body moving that way so kind of three arms of it right and you sell that the those really cool chimpanzee kettlebells yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Chimpanzee>. <laughs> love those things those yeah. are great yeah and uh, how do you feel about um being involved with uh the guy who sells flashlights or or used to the flashlight man oh <laughs> <laughs> Well, obviously, I don't mind. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's good. You're not you're not threatened by an artificial vagina. In other no, words, I'm not that's good to by know. An artificial vagina. That's good to know. I can just put a bandaid on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I interviewed Nina Hartley uh, on this podcast. You know, the porn yeah. legend. And uh, I saw, I don't remember if it was before or after I interviewed her, that she's got like the Nina Hartley vagina. Oh, okay. You know, modeled mm-hmm. after her actual vagina, apparently. Not sure how that happens, but. Uh, <laughs> I can tell well, you exactly. I'm oh, sure you know this guy happens. knows oh, how it right. happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they take, a, they take a live cast, get them in there, and they spread it, you know, put a bunch of Vaseline on it, and then they Wait, take a live Wait, it goes up? No, no, it's just people. it's just the it's just, vulva, right? It's just the lips. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was saying, how do you get people. that out? <laughs> but yeah, so they, and then they smear a bunch of Vaseline on it, and then they do a plaster cast. Um, mold. Oh my God, have you seen those? They have there like goes. these necklaces. That oh, you like could a- do like the same thing for your vagina, and you would wear it around your neck. I'm not really sure why you would do that, but supposedly. It's pretty cool. So it's like advertising. The the girl, girl. she just wears her. Like, this is what mine looks like. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like artistic and people are not supposed to know it's your vagina somehow. I don't know how that happens, but it definitely looks like a vagina. And (laughs) you're wearing your vagina around the neck. This is a giant stone phalluses that you could wear around. I wrote about this in Sex at Dawn that in Rome, they used to wear little necklaces with a penis hanging on it. A what, little? Like, yeah, just a little penis. Uh, and what were they called? And there was a, I don't remember what the name was, but there was a name. It's a word that, oh, fascinum. They were called a fascinum. And that's where the word fascinating comes from. Oh, and why do you wear it? Uh, I think it was like a sign that you were upper class. So like you couldn't wear it if you weren't cool. You know, if you weren't like one of the, the upper class. <laughs> okay. I, I don't remember exactly did why. but the, Did they make the lower class kiss their little penis? Maybe. Or, uh, maybe. <laughs> Do you know, through the 19th century, it was common practice in Europe and the United States for if a a boy baby was crying, that the maid would suck his penis to quiet him. What? Yeah, that was completely into the 20th century, as a matter of fact. It's like, yeah, oh, he's crying, yeah. And they they still do that in in many parts of the world, in tribal societies, in Africa and and, in Latin America. Like, oh, the baby's crying. Well, well, that'll shut him up. If a girl's crying. I don't know. They're I don't just, know. 
So just shit out of luck. Yeah, yeah, you just leave us there. Like, thanks a lot. My brother's getting his dick sucked over here, and I'm just so sad. Yeah, yeah. But it's amazing. It works on little boys, works on old men, works on everybody. It's great. It works, Shut up. It works on Whitney when she's crying. I just go, I just go straight oh, in. Just, yeah, that's, that's sweet. That's so sweet. R- remove the Band-Aid. Nice. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. We've been doing this for an hour and a half. We're way over schedule, but you guys are fascinating. I can, we can keep talking all night here, and we've, I feel like we've just scratched the surface. I know. I know. Well, yeah. I'm glad I could pop in for a few minutes. Yeah, I'm glad you did. That's fun. I'll have to get a picture of you, too. I got, I got a picture of Aubrey earlier, but we'll get a group picture here. Yeah, great. We'll put that on. So thanks for doing this, guys. Really Much appreciate it. great to meet you and, and to chat with you Our for a pleasure. while. Yeah. Thanks for putting all that good information out there. For yeah, sure. My pleasure. Said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up Or give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Think about an obligation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.